As Gen AI reshapes industries, understanding and leveraging its capabilities is no longer an option, it's a necessity. And that's exactly why at Hatchworks, we developed our Gen AI Innovation Workshop. In this workshop, we immerse you into a full day of learning, hands-on ideation, and building. We hit foundational concepts and show you how they relate to your domain. Then we develop actual use cases for your business and your industry. And we even build a custom GPT based on the use cases we define. Check out the link in the show notes or visit hatchworks.com to get started today. Welcome to Built Right, a podcast by Hatchworks where we help you learn to build the right digital product the right way. In each episode, we'll deconstruct the layers of successful product development, break down popular trends, and offer real advice to help make sure your product is built right. We may not have all the answers, but we've built a lot of digital products across a lot of industries, and we've seen a thing or two. Let's get into it. We got a spicy one for you, Built Right listeners. Today, we're breaking down the five ways generative AI will change the way you think about UX and UI design. And by the way, number two, I believe will actually create a complete shift in the way we think about designing and building software. So make sure to stick around for that one. But to help me do it today, I'm joined by Hatchworks' own Andy Silvestri, who brings 20 years of experience in the digital design space, including graphic design, creative design, user experience, customer experience, product strategy, all the things. And he even ran his own experience uh, strategy and design firm for 10 years prior to leading our product design practice here at Hatchworks. And he's a returning guest. So check out episode two if you like this one with Andy. But welcome back to the show, Andy. Hey, thanks, Matt. It's good to be back. Yeah, good to have you on. I'm really excited about this topic and this format that we're going to get into to today. So we at Hatchworks have been digging into everything uh, generative AI as of late, as it relates to the world of UX and UI design, uh, specifically for this conversation, um, from testing new tools, talking to folks in the industry. And what we've done is we've distilled all of these learnings down to five key points. So you don't have to. Uh, and this includes how it's making things easier, better, faster, but also what we need to watch out for. And plus things that may sound completely foreign now, you know, we believe this is going to be standard practice in the future. So trying to help you get ahead of that. So without further ado, Andy, let's get into number one. So I'll key it up for us and let you take it from there. But number one is taking the shift from an imperative to a declarative design approach. So take us through that. Like, what is What does this mean and how is this going to evolve? Yeah. So I think like, you know, as practitioners, right, we're coming from this time of like, you know, you point and click in the imperative fashion of doing everything. Right. And now we're getting into this model, of course, where like you can declare what you want from the tool. Right. I can say, I give me this, give me that. And the tool will use its use its AI powers to give you a, a result. Right. So I think that like kind of, you know, that focus on moving more into this declarative kind of, you know, approach to design is really an interesting one because, you know, that idea of like working along perhaps like a, a design co-pilot of sorts where you have like this running narrative uh, with the generative AI tool um, that really has the potential to be a, a pretty big game changer. Um, and not only from the standpoint of like just a singular prompt and response where I'm like, hey, you know, give me a design that has this, this and this and the thing gives it to you. But maybe 
more so the ability to work through like a design design brief and mm-hmm. you know refining a narrative tweaking things adjusting things that kind of stuff um so really like it's this kind of dialogue you have with the machine right yeah. um and seeing that as having a really big kind of upside to streamlining the process right especially for you know, smaller teams where it's maybe a designer of a design team of one, right? And, you know, like maybe you're a startup, you have a smaller budget, right? So you're really kind of leveraging the tool as almost a, you know, again, a co-pilot or another designer on your team. Um, there are some tools out there that are kind of embracing this kind of dialogue approach. Uh, you know, when like there are lots of stuff in beta right now. So um, it would be interesting to see where this goes, right? Uh, we've seen it from like kind of the the imagery perspective of like, give me a still image or give me an illustration. Um, but still in the sense of like screen design, there are some big players who haven't really weighed in specifically, um, you know, Figma and by by extension, Adobe. So it's going to be really interesting to see like what they bring to the table. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. This is this one kind of as you start to think about it, it blows my mind a bit because there's been so many best practices established uh, with the way we've done things to date. Like there are heuristics and and some of that will still stay around, but it's based on the human interacting with a machine in a particular way. Right. And, you know, these generative AI tools and way of interacting with a machine via natural language, uh, it's still got room for improvement. But I always look back to like cell phones back in the day when we were playing Snake or the Internet back in the day when we're dialing up on AOL, like things have progressed so much. And you already see what's happening with generative AI, how fast it's progressing. Like this has the potential to really shift how we interact with technology, which really kind of flips on its head, potentially how we've been doing things in a big way to date. Yeah, 100%. Um, there's always that kind of uh, room for improvement, room for room for advancement. I think that we're seeing that right now in this moment with all these mm-hmm. tools that are coming out. And you're really the hard, the hard part, I think, right now is staying on top of it all, right? Yeah. So, um, it's been an interesting ride for sure. I think it'll be interesting too. You know, you think of this concept of like the, the innovators dilemma, take a Salesforce or a HubSpot or, you know, that's how their whole solutions built. I mean, most solutions today um, are, how are they going to adapt this new way of interacting with technology? You know, do they adapt and make the shift potentially upset some existing customers to try to try to stay ahead? Or is it going to be what we've seen so many times newer competitors coming into the space without the bloat. And that that gets back to an interesting point you just made. You may not need an army of people to do some of this stuff. So that it changes the game a bit. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting subset of that. Like, you know, example for what Adobe is currently doing with their AI tools, right? They're kind of slow rolling things into their existing product base, right? So you're seeing like a feature here and a feature there come into Photoshop or come into Illustrator, right? I think just today they released a a color um, the modification tool piece within within the illustrator, right? So, I mean, that's one approach, right? Is like kind of just tease it out, get a little bit of proof of concept, get a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, traction around something before just kind of throwing a huge uh, new application right in front of people, like kind of meet them where they are in their current workflows. So, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting aspect of how all this stuff is coming together. So that's number one, shift from imperative point and click to more of a declarative chat focused design, how that's going to impact user experience and something to stay on top of. Number two, and and this is the one I I called out earlier. I think this is one of the most interesting ones, I think. It's the ability to get to proof of concept 
quicker. Uh, and, you know, some of this is obvious, but we've been playing around with some tools that, you know, whether it's that tool or that concept or idea, and you know, somebody else adopts it. But there's big potential here to really accelerate this process. But take us through this one. Yeah, this is great. And I mean, this is probably, at least in my opinion, one of the biggest upsides to at least currently using generative AI in design. And, you know, from both the standpoint of like low fidelity, medium fidelity, high fidelity, all those things, I think the the idea is, you know, why not use these tools when the stakes are low, right? Like if you're in a, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a ideation phase or a concepting phase, grinding out multiple iterations of flows, wireframes, interface concepts, you know, components, anything to support a proof of concept, it's not really going to be a slog anymore, right? Like you want to get, you you know, using these tools to get directionally correct, correct will take a lot less time, right? And, you know, probably in a in an interesting way, you know, people are kind of afraid of this idea of, oh, it's going to replace designers completely. But I think it's actually going to open up the door for designers to become even more exploratory in those early ideation and concepting processes, right? Because you're going to have more time because you're not necessarily doing all the heavy lift in the back end. Um, so if, for example, I can say to a tool, hey, I need, uh, you know, three concepts of, you know, this, this, and this, and give it some requirements and, and kind of work through that prompting um, and then take what it gives me and, you know, and then leverage what it's given me to kind of, you know, refine it further as needed. It's a big, it's a big step up from just, okay, I got to make three concepts and I got to think through everything, every single piece. So, um, yeah, I think this is going to be a really big, um, uh, big lift in terms of workflow. And again, like in that earlier phase, I think is when it's going to be most profound in terms of just kind of saving time. Mm. Yeah. You, you think of how we interact with our clients today, that upfront piece, like it gets shortened so much. You almost could think of this world in the future where you're in a workshop and you're actually getting an idea like as, as, as you're working through the workshop. Right. And then there's the debate of, yeah. okay, well, uh, is, is, you know, uh, whiteboard still superior because, you know, if you start to get real looking designs, the discussion immediately shifts to color and placement and not the, the core function sure. piece of things. Right. Uh, right. And I think know. that's where like kind of the, yeah. yeah, like the tactful use of those tools in those scenarios, I think is what's going to be paramount, right? Because you can think about that of, you know, yeah, we might be going through and doing a workshop, getting some stuff on the whiteboard with a client. We come back and we say, okay, give us, give us a week to turn around some, some rough proofs of concept. That might be, let's do it right now, you know, with what we just ideated through and see what we can get. But of course, like to your point, leveraging it at the fidelity that makes the most sense so that, yeah, you don't jump too far ahead or get down a rabbit hole and get kind of distracted from like the discovery task at hand. Right. But, but yeah, I mean, that's a really, that's a really good way to think about it of like, you know, let's put, let's put the concept and let's create like the artifact for it much more in a much, you know, lighter lift and, and, and use that to kind of, you know, further the conversation. So that's what I mean by kind of getting it, you know, getting quicker and getting like, you know, getting to the concept um, and, and getting it kind of out the door um, in an efficient manner. Yeah. And you mentioned one point too. So it's two things in my view. I've heard some others express this too. The minimum bar, you know, is going to be raised or lowered, I guess, in, in whichever way you look at it in terms of like, it's going to be so much easier to do stuff. Right. Uh, but I think to your point, it elevates the true practitioners, the true designers, you know, that skill set. It's like back to the uh back to the Renaissance. Like, you know, it's the artists, it's those folks that start to become more empowered. And I think that's that's the future is 
those type of folks become even more important, critically important as this new technology starts to take, take shape. Yeah, for sure. hundred percent. All right. So that that's number two, getting to this proof of concept quicker, uh, you know, multiple iterations of proof of concept testing, that whole idea of the agile mindset, it just accelerates things, but getting to number three, this is more of the cautionary tale one. So exercise caution when leveraging generative AI tools and solutions. So take us through the, uh, the more doomsday uh, one on the list here. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I think this is kind of like, you know, a good one to think about in that it highlights the need for cur curation, I think, like now more than ever, right? Like, and I mean that from the sense that it's not just about proofing the quality of what comes back from these tools, but, you know, proofing for bias, proofing for inaccuracies, you know, copyright infringement's been in, you know, a lot of the conversation around using uh, some of these tools, right? So, you know, there's still a very real need, I think, for a designer's eye to want, you know, going back to what you were just saying about the, the resonance, right? Like there's still a need for like this skill set. Um, and we will still need to employ, I think, a very good bit of common sense when we're using these tools, right? Like, um, like right now, whenever we kind of, you know, are looking through things that we see in the, in the space that are generated via AI, <clears throat> there's a bit of like a tell or like a look and feel that I think this imagery is taking on, right? Like maybe there's odd angles, the shadows are off, depth of field is not quite right, proportions are weird, you know? Um, the thing I think about, it's kind of like when, uh, when Photoshop became more mainstream and like Photoshop turned into a verb, like you could tell that something had been Photoshopped, right? Like, and you know, I think people that have been doing this for a while kind of are seeing that kind of tell of like, oh, AI is, is doing this and something's not quite right. So, I mean, that's one way to think about it. I think, I guess the scary thing is, you know, just in what we've seen in the last couple months of this, you know, this stuff becoming mainstream is how good will it get, right? Like if you see the increase in quality that, you know, just a few months of, you know, since ChatGPT dropped in the market, right? Um, and there's this increased focus on more sophisticated prompting and prompt engineering is becoming like a real thing. And people are learning more about how to use these tools and interact with them. So like very soon, like very, very soon, that tell, you know, may be indiscernible from reality. So that's the one thing that's kind of like, okay, let's use curation. Let's, let's kind of, let's curate this. Let's, let's make sure that we are um, using a bit of common sense. And, and maybe that goes into how we actually disseminate the work in an honest fashion, right? Like, you know, somehow indicating that this was used, that this was made using uh, AI tools to, to help with the design, that kind of thing. So it's very interesting times. Um, we're kind of still in that gray area, right? But I think that um, you know, with, with good practice, we'll get there. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's going to be instances that we saw recently, this is more chat GPT focused, but the lawyer that was creating a legal brief off of chat GPT and it just, it completely hallucinated, just completely false information. <laughs> uh, and what does that begin to look like on more of the design side? You know, I think that'll be interesting to see to your point, like, does it look like it's been produced through generative AI? Is that a negative, you know, connotation there? Um, but you, you mentioned it earlier. It's this concept of co-pilot. That's, that's the important piece. It's your co-pilot. It's not, you know, set it and forget it. Uh, what was it? Was that the George Foreman grill back in the day? The same <laughs> or one of those? <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But you said it, I mean, like, it's kind of interesting, right? Like, um, just as like Photoshop coming to the masses, like allowed a lot more people to you know, um, manipulate their imagery and, and, you know, 
quite frankly, you know, do better work with the types of photos they were taking. This is a similar kind of effect, right? Where it's not all bad, right? I mean, just because something has been AI'd, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a bad thing for, you know, just to get access, raising that baseline, getting more people into design, getting familiar with the tools. I think that's a, you know, kind of a silver lining to this kind of cautionary doom and gloom kind of outlook to AI replacing jobs and things like that. So again, very interesting taking the good with the bad, but you know, we'll see where it goes. So, so this, uh, you know, generative AI kind of de uh, democratizing AI and potentially design related things, good or bad mm -hmm. in your opinion? Um, I think it's a good thing, right? Um, I think the more we as, as, uh, you know, society can get better with the tools, um, you know, of course there's always a negative side to, to new technology and there's people that are going to, um, you know, use it for, for negative things and bad actors. Yeah. All that stuff's going to happen. But I think generally speaking, you know, the more empowered people can be with these tools and, you know, actually, you know, again, at the end of the day, if it's delivering value to folks, right. And they're seeing a really, and, you know, a, a benefit to using this technology, then I'm all for it. Um, but again, you know, yeah, there's, there's two ways to look at it, of course. Right? So. Yeah. You hit on the core thing. It's, it's all about value at the end of the day. And we talk a lot about that at Hatchworks delivering uh, and owning the outcome, but it goes back to like the dot-com era. You slap dot-com on anything. The concept of value just completely got ignored. And there's some of that going on today where it's the hype train of, you know, there's a new generative AI tool out every day, multiple ones, but do they provide value? Are they defensible? Do they have some kind of differentiated moat when you can spin something up on a weekend? Probably not, right? So I think that it's, it's that back to first principles is still going to hold true. Uh, even with this. Yeah. Right on. All right. So that is number three, the cautionary tale with generative AI tools. Number four, uh, this is a, I like this one. So this is impact to creation and utilization of design systems. For me, this gets, gets to like easier standardization, just like mundane tasks, get them out of here, but take us through this one. Yeah, sure. And this is kind of like, you know, a click deeper to what we were talking about earlier around like you know, developing whole concepts via prompting. So like, this is more, I think when you get into that stage of finalizing a design, right. Um, you know, there's a lot of work that now has to be done for preparing that to be, uh, taken further in the delivery life cycle, right? So leveraging the automation aspects of what these tools have is, I think, potentially a, a big kind of speed up in terms of a designer's workflow, right? Like, if you can imagine just simply making a design and then prompting a, a tool to say, you know, generate the components for color typography, the focus states from what, from what, what I just designed. And it's like, boom, there it is. Or, uh, you know, take the design system, decrease all the color gradations we have by 10% and boom, it's all done. You don't have to go in and do all that, you know, individual legwork. So while it sounds like little stuff, all of that from the standpoint of a, you know, a design team's effort can, can really add up and, you know, shave a lot of time. So I think this is, this is really a, a powerful kind of aspect of like that, that latter stage of finalization design, um, not just within kind of like pulling components apart for the sake of delivery, but also in kind of refinement. Um, it's very similar, I think, to, um, you know, a time when the concept of reusable symbols and components were introduced in interface design programs like Sketch, right? Like it really changed the way we as designers thought about our workflow. It's like, oh, I can create this one component or this one symbol that I can use 
an infinite number of times within my design system, great. Like, you know, it was a huge efficiency gain for a lot of, a lot of, you know, people's day to day. And again, I think like we're in, we're kind of, you know, in that moment with these tools coming to light of like, you know, how does it come into a workflow? How does it kind of shave off or make, you know, things that much easier? And I think that's again, where like the real value and the real adoption is going to take place. So whomever in whatever fashion comes out with, you know, the killer app when it comes to like design systems. And again, this is why I was, I was talking about Figma earlier because a lot of the industry is kind of waiting to see, you know, what their move is when it comes to, you know, generative AI and kind of, you know, baking it into their, their whole, um, their software suite. You know, these are, these are, these are interesting times, you know, and it's, it's the stuff that will impact, you know, a hundred percent of how we approach, um, you know, our workflows as, you know, as designers here at Hatchworks too. So, um, really interesting stuff, really looking forward to like learning more and more and, show, you know, kicking the tires on even more tools. Yeah. And, you know, everybody's listening, the whole, the whole summation there, it's speed to value, right? It's helping increase speed to value, efficiency, all of that. But for the listeners that may not be acquainted with what, what a design system even is, like what's, what is a design system, um, gives just some, uh, some context for what that is, why you have design systems, the value of them. So I think it's a piece that's kind of overlooked sometimes if you're building products and you're not as acquainted with user experience, you know, UI design, things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, at its core, a design system is really kind of the foundations of what makes up the, uh, the visualization or the interaction, interactive elements of your product, your solution, whatever it is that you're designing, right? So, um, you know, you can think about there's um, kind of the atomic method of breaking things down to the atomic level of like, this is our, our you know, our very small elements that build up into molecules that build up into organisms, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, you know, having a system of all of those components within your design um, is, is really, again, the foundational part. And, you know, I can, as a designer or someone who owns that design system for a specific product or a brand, you know, shepherd that and, and work through, okay, do we need to make updates to colors? Do we make, make updates to our typography suite? All of that kind of thing. You know, those are the nitty gritty pieces that all kind of, you know, again, funnel back up to what you, what you see in the final interaction, the final interface. So again, that's why, like, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, components to design systems that need to be managed and overseen. And, you know, again, with, with these AI tools coming to light, there's a lot of opportunity for a lot more efficiency to, to be uh, interjected into that whole workflow. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think to your point, what's going to be interesting, at least what, I, what I'm interested in, is it going to be your Figmas, you know, obviously your Adobe's, the, the large players, are they going to adapt to these things and when in the market? Or are you, are you going to have smaller players, uh, which is like a Figma, like they have a mode established. People are bought in and they use that solution you know, are, are new players going to be able to come in by advancing and kind of leapfrogging here or the, you know, plugging into those type of solutions. Do you think it, it is going to be kind of the big players out there that ultimately win, they may take a little more time to actually build this into their solutions, or do you think it's more of a, a newcomer space? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the established players definitely have a leg up, right? Like especially Figma who now has Adobe in their corner, right? So they have the resource to push this stuff through more quickly, you know, but that's not to, that's not to say that a, a new player couldn't come out of left field and really nail all of the core value prop that, you know, a Figma does and add on top of it with something related to uh, generative AI and beat them to the punch. I mean, it's completely feasible. 
Um, you know, and there are groups out there, you know, I've, I've seen Buzzy, uh, I've seen you wizard, all these kinds of things that are, you know, they are their own ecosystems, but like, you know, maybe, maybe this is, uh, maybe, maybe this is the time that a new player comes out and takes the crown. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I guess we look back as far as Figma and they, they were, you know, they're, they're a little bit older, but they definitely came in and just stole the show. All right. So that is number four, the impact, uh, in, in creating and utilizing design systems. It's going to be big there. It's getting, getting rid of all the mundane kind of tasks that, you know, designers really, you know, they can focus on more important stuff. The last one, this is, you know, I mentioned the, the POC one is the most impactful, but this one's critical. I, I love this one. It's the importance of keeping your users actively engaged when they're in co-pilot mode so they don't crash the plane. What, what does this mean? And this is thinking about the users of generative, generative AI or your products and services that leverage generative AI. Take us to this one. Right. Yeah, and I love this notion. I think it's like, you know, this idea of, oh, generative AI is just going to allow us to just prompt, do whatever, and then kind of go about our day and do the really important things. When, you know. But I think it's really more kind of an opportunity for us as practitioners to, to be diligent. And I think, you know, quite frankly, this is why I think we'll always have jobs as designers, because, you know, even with the assistance of generative AI, you know, all of these potential big wins we, we've talked about in terms of automation, um, you know, a human is still responsible for creating a good experience for other humans, right? So uh, you, you have to factor in what it is that other people want in a service or product, right? And, and make sure that you're delivering on that. So no matter how quickly or, efficiency or efficiently you get there, um, you know, you still have to test concepts. You still have to gather feedback from real people. You have to synthesize that feedback. You have to act upon the feedback, put it into a roadmap, work on it, right? Um, I think generally one way to think about it is that just because we have all these tools that are, you know, kind of, you know, taking the place, you know, of, of other humans, you're not going to take the human out of human-centered design, right? So we're still going to need to be able to uh, be diligent and, and oversee and shepherd this work, as I was mentioning earlier. Yeah, as long as you know, the solutions we're building are for humans. I think that's 100% mm. true. I wonder if some point though, you do have these, uh, you know, AI type agents and you're building experiences and solutions for them. What does that look like? And maybe they're just completely headless. It's just the API layer and making the, you know, everything easy and accessible. That'll be a interesting evolution if, if things change in that way. Yeah. Well, with the speed we're going, I mean, again, I was, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier with like, you know, how quickly it's evolving, you know, how, how much things are adapting to, you know, people prompting better, doing better things. Like, how are we going to, like, what is going to be in three months, six months, another year from now, right? I mean, we're, we're kind of talking, we're looking back over the course of only a handful of months right now. And, uh, you know, so much stuff has come to the market. So many ideas are out there. Um, you know, the, the opportunity to really embrace this area and, and, you know, lean into it um, as practitioners is really, really fascinating. And so, Again, I mean, may the best may the best tool win, right? That's the way I see it. Is if it's going to be, um, you know, improving our workflows as designers, if it's going to be increasing value to end users, if it's going to be making really any aspect of you know the design process just a little bit easier, even if it's that little bit of an efficiency gain, I think it's worth it, and it's something that we um, that we can 
um, you know, continue to work through and, 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 um, learn from. So yeah, really exciting times <laughs> and, and a lot more to, to look at. We have a list as Matt, you mentioned, we have a list of tools that we're looking through. That's just, you know, it seems like it gets longer and longer by the day. So. Yeah. We got a notion board of about a hundred tools. I feel like that we're going in and <laughs> yeah. testing. Uh, in, in one thing we're doing too, kind of off topic, but we're creating, what are our you know guidelines to using these tools? Um, which is important for organizations to think through. If we're just testing a tool internally for an internal project or solution we're building, great. That's one level. If we're doing something on a client project that, you know, is potentially exposing client data or something like that, that's another level of uh, consideration. Uh, so that's one thing we're defining at Hatchworks. And I, I, you know, encourage every other organization to do the same. Uh, and it's about creating a standard, you know, set of practices and just agreed upon rules of how you engage with these tools. Right. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. I think it's super important to getting, getting back to that kind of curation beyond just the quality of what you're getting back from these tools. Right. It's about, you know, is it ethical? Is it, is it accurate? Is, you know, is it not infringing on copyrights, all of that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, is it, is it not exposing you to risk, right? There's a very real, factor there that I think a lot of, you know, there's just all this gray area that everybody's going to have to kind of take their own path through um, and decide like what's right for, for their organization. But I think, yeah, I mean, a lot of those kinds of considerations, the more you can define them, talk through them, make sure you have a plan or at least an approach um, formulated, uh, the better off you'll be uh, because we're not going to see the end of new tools coming out and, and new weird deep fakes and stuff like that. And people, again, being bad actors and leveraging the tools in in not so nice ways. So. Yeah, another offshoot too. Like we're playing around with Firefly Adobe's version of, you know, like mid journey. And you can actually now prompt in there the type of camera lens you're using and things like that. It's just taking it to a whole nother level for, for better, or for worse. But to your point earlier, it's like what jobs are going to exist that, that don't even exist today? Like you think back before pre internet, you know, this. All kinds of jobs that exist now that never existed previously. Are, do you think we're going to have that kind of stepwise change from generative AI? Is it that level of impact, or you think it's somewhere less, somewhere more? Where do you, where do you think uh, play fortune teller for us? Yeah, I think within a year or two, you're going to see prompt engineering on everybody's resume, right? I think that's the next step. Is maybe not that maybe not that it's wholly different, uh, you know, job titles or, or roles, but it's more skill set building, right? Um, you know, so I think in the near term, the more and more you know that becomes mainstream in terms of understanding how to interact with these tools, as we were kind of talking through. Um, the more valuable that's going to be as an individual, like if I have that skill and I've invested in that and also to an organization who's, you know, leaning into these tools, um, you know, like understanding how to talk to the robots is going to be a really big deal. So, so yeah, that's all I can say. I mean, right now though, yeah, we might see in, you know, five years from now that there is a, you know, a prompt designer, I don't know, like something like that or an AI designer or something, somebody who's, you know, got their little, you know, their, their sidekick. That's the AI. I don't know. <laughs> And I guarantee you will see uh, required skills, 10 years of experience with, you know, the tool that's been out there. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's guaranteed to be out there. All right. So the five, just to recap, the, the number one shift from imperative point and click to a declarative chat focused design. It's changing how we think about user experience. Uh, ability to get to proof of concept quicker. Again, speed to value, speed to testing, agile taken to the next level. 
Number three, exercising caution when leveraging generative AI tools and solutions. Number four, impact to creation and utilization of design systems. Get the mundane stuff out of there. And then number five, don't crash the plane. Be considerate of users actively engaging with the solution. And at one point, like you see this with Tesla, they require you to, I think, touch the steering wheel ever so often. But it's just to remind you that you are engaged with the, the thing. Uh, but really, really enjoy the conversation today, Andy. And for those that are looking to go a little bit deeper on generative AI, we got the blog out there uh, on generative AI. We're doing one specific to software development. We'll have another one coming out specific to UX and design. And we'll link to some of those in the show notes. And then we also have episode, I believe it's episode eight. It was our Built Right Live podcast we did with Jason Slachter. Go check that one out. This guy is insanely smart. Uh, leads AI empowerment group right now. Uh, used to be leading AI products at Elevance Health. Uh, so, you know, tons of experience with a lot of crazy stuff. And there we get into the the idea of how do you validate uh, and, you know, identify winning generative AI use cases for your business. So don't miss that. But thanks for thanks for joining us today, Andy. My pleasure, Matt. Thanks as always. And um, yeah, let's let's talk more about AI because I think in another six months, we're going to have a whole other layer of topics to talk about. So It'll keep evolving. We'll, we'll look back at this and we can kind of test our, our hypotheses we've had. All right. right thanks, Andy. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for listening to Built Right. If you enjoy the show, give us a follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to leave us a review. For more info on Built Right, visit us at hatchworksbuiltright.com. Do you already have a Gen AI use case in mind for your business, but don't know where to get started? Hatchworks Gen AI Accelerator is exactly what you need. We guide you from ideation to a tangible prototype. Our approach provides a low risk, high value pathway for you to validate and test Gen AI technology on a small scale before committing to full production. We take you through technology and LLM selection, perform data preparation, and then build the actual prototype. And then we do testing and model fine tuning of your prototype. The best part is we get you to this prototype in just two to eight weeks based on the scope of your use case. Check out the link in the show notes or visit hatchworks.com to get started today.